Welcome back to the Cycling with Watts podcast. This is episode 15. I'm your host, Jared Watts, and thanks for listening today. This is your first time listening. The Cycling with Watts podcast is dedicated at getting you out on your bike more, bringing you everything uh, from the Pro Peloton, the news going on there, everything that's hot from the tech world, everything on the maintenance side to make sure that your bike is running you know, as good as it can, basically, and then over to the training side where I can give you my tips that I found from training, and hopefully that helps you to become a better biker and enjoy being on the bike more. So today we got a, a good one in store. We're going to talk all about shifting and how to get that shifting all dialed in, nice, buttery, smooth, and then we're going to talk about how other areas of biking can make you a better road cyclist. So we are going to roll that orchestra music and get right into it. All right, so let's get right into it. So we're talking about shifting today, but right before we get into shifting, I got to give a shout out to a fan in Dublin. As I, I mentioned on my last podcast, I'm over in Dublin just on vacation. It's been super amazing. And then I flew over to Edinburgh. So currently I'm in Edinburgh, Scotland right now and headed back to Dublin in the morning and then headed back to the U.S on Sunday. So it's been an absolute great trip. But while I was here, I just got an email from a fan over in Dublin. So I hope I'm going to pronounce your name right, but it's Kieran. So thank you so much for reaching out, telling me that you like the show. And uh, yeah, it's, it means a lot. So really, really appreciate you reaching out. And you can uh, you can reach out to me on social media if you want that way. Otherwise, go to cyclingwithwants.com. You can find an email address there as well. So thanks again for reaching out to me. It's super awesome. So today we're talking about shifting and it is super frustrating when you cannot shift properly from a maintenance standpoint. It's it's one of the things that we fix on almost every single bike that we touch as a company, but then basically that I touch. I mean, it's like it's very rare that I go to work on a bike and it's just shifting smooth as butter. There's always an adjustment that you can make, even on my my own personal bike. Probably every three weeks or so, I give it a little fine-tune adjustment with the barrel adjuster on the rear derailleur. So today, I am going to talk mainly on that rear derailleur shifting. That's usually where you get the majority of problems. The front derailleur is a little bit trickier, I would say, in adjusting it with the limit screws. It's not it's the same principle and everything like that. So if you can really get the rear derailleur down, then the front derailleur is a little bit easier to, to manage if you at least get the concept of the rear derailleur down, but the barrel adjusters are in some different places. So I would say that part can throw you off a little bit differently from that standpoint, but rear derailleur shifting is what we're going to focus on today because it's it's very annoying when it's not shifting properly especially if it happens in a race and you need to shift down into you know those higher gears and it, it misshifts or you're coming up to a hill and it misshifts something like that or just on a regular ride especially if you're out with buddies and then they see that you misshift you know so it, it's it's frustrating but it can be very simple to fix and there can be a lot of um, simple fixes on the bike that you can notice straight away and that you can fine tune yourself you know aside from lubing your chain and washing your bike and pumping up your tires when i when i deliver a new bike those are kind of the three things that i teach people 
right on site. It's very easy to do all three of those things. Almost anybody can do it. Kind of that next step up then would be being able to fine tune your shifting in back. You're probably not gonna be able to take care of a huge shifting problem, but that uh, just fine tuning it with the barrel adjuster is kind of that next step, I would say, for learning to be more, I don't know what the word I'm looking for, but, but to become a better mechanic on your bike, that is kind of that next step. So before I get into actually how to turn that barrel adjuster, I'm gonna talk about some different areas that could be causing misshifting going on. So just because you are misshifting, it doesn't mean that your barrel adjuster in the back is off, which that barrel adjuster is loosening or tightening that cable tension. So if you have DI2, we are not talking about DI2 or electronic shifting. This is all cable shifting. That is what we are focusing on today. So you have a cable and then housing running around that cable. So first off, cable and housing is very, very important to getting good shifting, good crisp, buttery, smooth shifting. And a lot of problems can occur right there. So I've talked about it before, but one of the very first things to look at if you are having those misshifting problems is go and look at that cable and housing and make sure there's no kinks in there because you want a nice even flow of cable and housing to that rear derailleur. That is what you are looking for. That is what gets that nice crisp shifting. So I've talked about it with aero bikes, that some of these aero bikes have real weird kink shifting on them. And I've worked on a, a couple, you know, oddly routed aero bikes, especially when it comes to brakes. And it's just like, you get no braking power because the cable is not running smoothly to that spot. So first off, Make sure that cable and housing is running smoothly, especially if you've changed out your own cables and housing and you could have run it too short in one area, run it too long in one area, something like that. Make sure it's a nice smooth flow of that cable and housing to the rear derailleur there. Then after you've done that, check your cable and make sure there's no kinks in that cable. Because if there's a kink in the cable anywhere, especially if you've done your own cable and housing and you kink the cable while putting it in there, that will automatically make your shifting off. So there can also be kinks in the cable. Now the last thing to check on on the cable and housing is basically to see how old they are. Because if you haven't replaced your cables in cable and housing in two years maybe, they are definitely going to be stretched out. And what happens is then you miss shift because, well, basically the housing compresses. It doesn't necessarily stretch, but what we always say is the cable and housing stretch out. Therefore, you're not going to get as precise shifting on there. So what you're essentially doing is tightening that cable on back more as over time it stretches out. And so if you haven't replaced your cables in two years, that can lead to miss shifting. You know, that's something I didn't necessarily know until I became a bike mechanic and well i guess i knew it before i became a bike mechanic but until i learned that i just thought it was part of my bike i didn't know that it was a cable tension doing all of that uh miss shifting so if it if it's been more than two years you probably need new cable and housing because also in the housing little 
rocks and dust and water can get up in there. If any of that gets in there, it causes friction. And friction, usually on a bike, is a bad thing. Almost everywhere that I can think of, friction is a bad thing. And friction in there is going to cause mist shifting as well. So replace those cables, replace that housing, it'll be buttery smooth. But if there's still good cables and good housing, then it's probably just adjusting that barrel adjuster um, if that is the problem. Now, another nice little handy tip is cables and housing. The better up you go, the more premium, not necessarily lubricant, but kind of like a waxy seal or lube, you could say, is polished on those cables and on that housing to help that flow as best as possible. So a nice little thing that you can do is grease or lube, or I use Mo94. That's a like an all-purpose lubricant that you can use on your entire bike made by Muckoff. You can shoot that up into your cables, or you can take your cables out of your housing, put some lube on there, drop some lube into the into the housing itself. If you just want a quick one, you just shoot some of this Mo94 through those cable or through those housing holes and that adds a nice little lubricant back onto it and can really bring a lot of life back into back into cables and housing especially when i'm working on a bike for somebody who doesn't want to put money into it maybe they need new cables and housing but either they don't want to pay for it they can't pay for it whatever that is i shoot some of that mo 94 up in there put some lube in there put some grease in there whatever is best for that situation and it can absolutely bring that back to life and so that is another great option if you think your cables are still pretty good but they're just not giving you the same response that you want throw some of that mo 94 up in there don't use wd-40 as tempting as it is do not use wd-40 you can squirt some lubricant in there or if you have a, a specific bike grease you can slide that on the cables as well and that will help bring back that nice buttery smooth shifting so we have covered basically everything there is for cables and housing. That is the first place that you should look to see if, 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 if you're misshifting, that is the first place to look. Also, if there's any cuts in the housing as well, that can allow water to get in. Now, if you are using a commuter bike in a lot of rain and a lot of snow, water is going to get in those cables and housing faster, and therefore it's going to degrade those cables and housing quicker. So if you're using it as a commuter bike, you will probably need to do it more than your road bike that you may kind of keep as a baby. It doesn't go out in bad weather, which is totally fine, but those housing and cables will last longer. So do know that if it's a commuter bike or if you ride your road bike a lot in wet weather, something like that, it will get at those cables faster, make it rust out. So cable and housing, first place to look. Second place to look. Now, when I'm working on a bike, I do all of these checks before I actually go down and start adjusting the cable tension because it can be kind of a multitude of things before I get to cable tension and I can solve a lot of it usually before I get to that cable tension because you can kind of spend all day adjusting that cable tension and if there is a kink in that cable, well, it doesn't matter how much you adjust that, that cable tension with the barrel adjuster, it will not shift properly because a kink in the cable does not make a shift properly. So please just check, do all these little checks before you actually get to indexing your gear. So the next very, very important thing to look at is the rear derailleur hanger. 
the rear derailleur hanger, the rear derailleur hanger. If you don't know what this is, it is such a crucial part of the bike. And people really should be educated on this more because it's a very crucial part that nobody knows about. I feel like it's very hidden and it sucks if it breaks because a derailleur hanger is specific to each bike frame, which is stupid and there should be some standardization across the board, but there's not. So rear derailleur hanger. I would also go to rearderailleurhanger.com after you get done listening to this podcast find your bike and order a spare rear derailleur hanger. It'll probably cost you about 40 bucks. So it is somewhat of an investment, but you will understand why after this. So that rear derailleur hanger hooks on to the back of your frame where your chain stay and your seat stay meet together. And then your derailleur actually is screwed into the rear derailleur hanger. Then your rear derailleur hanger is uh, screwed into the frame. Now, this is a piece of alloy that is meant to bend and meant to break in the instance of a crash or that your bike falls over. A lot of things can bend a rear derailleur hanger. And so you may think it's weird that it is meant to bend and meant to break if it gets hit, but that is also pretty awesome because the rear derailleur hanger used to be, and even on some cheaper bikes today, part of the frame And then if that bends or breaks and it's part of the frame, you are looking at getting a whole new bike instead of just replacing that rear derailleur hanger. And that rear derailleur hanger can bend if your bike just simply falls over, if you put it up against the wall too hard. And so do note, if you have any scrapes or scratches, that could mean that you have a bent rear derailleur hanger. And so what you wanna do Set your bike up against the wall, put it up in a bike stand, however you work on your bike. So you set it up against the wall, and then you want to go to the back of that wheel and set your eyes on your rear derailleur, and then look to see what it's attached to, and that will be that rear derailleur hanger. Usually it's black. And that hanger should be parallel with the first cog of your cassette. So you want that rear derailleur hanger to be parallel with the first cog on your cassette. If it is bent in, which is usually the case, very rarely will will you see it bent out. It can be, but usually it is bent in. And so what happens is then if that derailleur hanger is bent in, the derailleur is attached to the hanger Therefore, that is going to angle that derailleur, and now you are not going to shift properly. So usually what we see is that derailleur hanger will be bent in. It bends in the derailleur, of course, and then it causes misshifting while you're moving down your gears or up your cassette, and it will come off that last cog your lowest gear in the rear. So there's a couple solutions if you have a bent rear derailleur hanger, which I will get into, but you always check that rear derailleur hanger because again, you could adjust that cable tension as much as you want and it's not gonna do any good and you're just gonna sit there and be very frustrated 
if you have a rear derailleur hanger that is bent. Now there is no derailleur hanger in the front, it is just on the rear. So if you do have a bent rear derailleur hanger or a broken one, that is why you have a spare so that if you were out on a trip and you break your derailleur hanger, you have a spare because they are specialized to each frame. So each frame basically has its own derailleur hanger. So it's not like you can just walk into a bike shop and get a derailleur hanger. Maybe you can, but more than likely you can't. So get a spare. So you can bend a derailleur hanger out. There is a tool that bends derailleur hangers. This is not the preferred method. As a mechanic, I do it, but it's not the preferred because I can't guarantee that I will get perfect shifting. Most of the time I do. I mean, probably 90% of the time, 95% of the time, I get perfect shifting because it's not a terrible bend. It's easy to move back out and I can get it parallel with that last cog. But it's still not ideal because you have already compromised that derailleur hanger once. And so it's, it's going to be easier to break in the future. It could get bent again, just using it. It's just not the perfect thing, to, but I do it for people because usually there isn't a spare and I'm at, I'm at their house. I need to fix it right now. With some people, I, I just tell them, hey, this is too bad. We need to order another one. And so that's it's very easy to get another one ordered. I'm back in a week and get it put on their bike. But especially when I'm at events, stuff like that, bend it out. I try to get it as perfect as possible. So yes, you can get a tool. It is probably too costly to keep as a home mechanic. That is why you should just get a, a, a new one. So if you are going to get a new one, you can bring it into the shop, of course, but all you need to do is buy that new one, get it in, take your rear derailleur off, and what you're going to do is pop that chain all the way into your highest gear, that smallest cog, and then you're going to take a five millimeter Allen key and stick it in that big hole in your rear derailleur, loosen it up, pop that derailleur off, then there should be either one or two small Allen heads, probably a two and a half, two, three sometimes, but two, two and a half, three millimeter Allen is what you're going to need. Take that old derailleur hanger off, pop the new one on, and then as you are putting your rear derailleur on, you'll have to kind of manipulate it and kink that so you can get that set screw put in the right spot. And if you don't know what I'm talking about with that set screw, it's a little screw called the B-tension screw on the rear derailleur, and it'll sit on a little jut out of the derailleur hanger. So if you look at that new derailleur hanger, you have a little round spot up top, and then you'll have a little jut out, and that's where the kind of to the left, if you're holding it in front of you, you have like a nice ice cream cone shape almost on top and then you'll have a little jut out on the left and that's where that screw sits so make sure to get that screw on there otherwise it will throw off shifting again so get that little screw on there and then tighten her all the way back down onto the frame with that five millimeter allen key and then you'll have to go to indexing the gears after that so rear derailleur hanger check it before you get into adjusting that barrel adjuster and then if you do need to replace it get a new one sent out pop that derailleur off put the fresh one on and then index your gears
So the last thing that we are going to check are your high and low limit screws. So you have, well, technically three little screws on the back. You have the B tension screw, which is there to set the height of that first jockey wheel next to the smallest cog or highest gear on that cassette. Usually you don't need to touch that, so we're gonna go to your high and low limit screw. And what your high and low limit screw do is make sure that chain doesn't jump off on your lowest gear, so your biggest cog in back so it doesn't jump off into your wheel. And then the high limit screw makes sure that that chain doesn't pop off that smallest cog in the highest gear and then get jammed in your frame or in between your crank, basically crank arm and your chain ring up front. So that is what those limit screws do. Now there's a couple ways to check to make sure that that is in line to where it's supposed to be. The best way to do it is to start by loosening the Allen key. Usually it's a five, sometimes it's a four millimeter Allen key that is holding the cable of your rear derailleur in place. So take that cable off because then you're making sure that your limit screws are set to the point where or your limit screws are set and not being manipulated by cable tension. So if you loosen that up, make sure that cable is out of that pinch bolt and then you're gonna check your limit screws. So first pop it into that highest gear and go to the back of your bike. So if in your stand or have it against the wall, what you wanna check is when it when your derailleur is in that highest gear, smallest cog, you wanna make sure that that first jockey wheel is setting just to the right of that cog. Now you can have it directly in line. I always like to put it a little bit to the right just to make sure that when you are smashing those pedals down hard, that that chain is gonna get all the way into that smallest cog or highest gear. After that, you're just going to push that cassette manually. Just take your finger, push that cassette manually, and then go check the low limit screw now and make sure that that chain is in line with that biggest cog in back. And then one thing I do as well to make sure that that derailleur is coming all the way down to that small gear and I do it very lightly especially with expensive bikes as I will pedal the cranks get the chain moving and then I will manually push that derailleur up the cassette and then let it come back down by itself and make sure that that chain is coming all the way into that smallest cog now, like I said I do it very slowly I do it very gently especially with the more expensive bikes so I don't want that chain slapping around on different places so now I'm going to bring that cable, pull it t nice and tight, make sure I'm in that smallest cog, highest gear, and we'll pull that cable tight and pinch it back to that bolt. So now it should be in a fairly good spot just from there. So I make sure that the limit screws are set right. And then once I pinch that bolt, again, I double check the limit screws. And so I pop it into the highest gear, make sure it's set just to the right of that. I pop it into the lowest gear, and I make sure that it is set correctly there. So in that 
lowest gear, biggest cog, you want to make sure that it the chain is directly in line with that biggest cog. And another little check I do is I put the uh, put the derailleur in that biggest cog, lowest gear, and then I manually push the derailleur to see if I can get it to pop over into that wheel. You can manually feel it and you can see that chain starting to go and then I know that I need to tighten that screw. And so you will you will see when you play with those screws, you will see that derailleur move and you only adjust those limit screws in the smallest cog, highest gear, or in the lowest gear, biggest cog, and you will you will see that move. So remember, low limit screw, biggest cog, low gear, high limit screw, and there will be an H or an L, or it will say high and low on your derailleur, so you know which screw is which. High is for the little cog, highest gear. And you will see, if you tighten or loosen it, you will see that derailleur slightly move. And that's how you get it in line with where it should be. So limit screws. That's the last thing that we're going to check before indexing it. So now we are on to indexing. And this is all cable tension. And it's fine tuning. If you're way off, it's probably the pinch bolt and the cable tension there. So if you're way off on your shifting, pop that chain into the highest gear, smallest cog. Loosen up that pinch bolt, pull that cable tight, pull it tight using needle nose pliers, and tighten that pinch bolt down, and then go on to indexing it. So you have the little barrel adjuster in back. Now this is a lot easier to do if you can freely spin those cranks. So have somebody hold your back tire up if you don't have a bike stand. Otherwise, try to get it somewhere where you can spin the pedals and that back wheel can move free, move freely because that is the easiest way to do that because you can see everything happening in real time. So that barrel adjuster can either loosen or tighten cable tension. And I'm going to talk about it in the way that it was easiest for me to learn and I think easiest to teach while just speaking to you without any visuals. And so the way that I always imagine it is I can manipulate the chain by moving that chain slightly up or slightly down. And one thing I do want to mention when you are tightening or loosening either the barrel adjuster or the limit screws, do it in small increments. You know, when it comes to limit screws, do a quarter turn each time and count how many times you're doing that. So you can remember if you went the wrong direction, you can just get it right back to the same exact spot with three quarter turns or however you want to do it, but do it in small increments. It's easy if you just do quarter turns each time, then you know four is one full turn. If you went too far one way, you just do four turns in the opposite direction. So cable tension. I can move that chain either up the cassette or down the cassette. I can move it away from me or towards me. And so if you have a Shimano, which majority of them, I'm guessing you're working with Shimano, you're going to have that barrel adjuster in back. And I think of it as if I'm turning that barrel adjuster towards me, so clockwise, 
I am moving that chain towards me. If I am turning that barrel adjuster towards the wheel or anti-clockwise, I am moving the chain away from me. So if I'm spinning it towards me, the chain is coming towards me. If I'm spinning it away from me, the chain is moving away from me. It's moving towards the tire. So remember that. If you're twisting it towards you, chain's coming towards you. If you're twisting it away from you, the chain is going to move away from you. So what you wanna do is start in that smallest cog. This is if the bike is off the ground or if you have somebody holding up your back wheel, spin that crank and you're gonna shift into that second gear or next cog up. And that is a very important shift. So first you wanna make sure that that shift is nice, crisp and clean and you shouldn't hear any weird clunky noises. So if that shift is clean, then we're gonna move on to the next one. If you hear any type of noise that just doesn't seem right or the chain is like popping up on one instance, it's hitting that jockey wheel just wrong or if it's hitting that cog just wrong, you will notice that. And then that's where you wanna fine tune that barrel adjuster and get it so that chain is running nice and smoothly. You can even go back to the back of it and make sure that that chain is parallel basically and those jockey wheels are in line with that cog. So you're gonna pop it up into that second gear, that next gear up, and then you're just gonna keep moving up from there and making sure that it's crisp, nice and clean. It should be a very fast shift. You shouldn't have any problems, shouldn't be clunky, anything like that, and just keep moving on up the cassette. Now, if you run into a problem while you're moving up that cassette, adjust it till it's nice and smooth, bring it back down to that smallest cog, and start over again. So every time that you're gonna make an adjustment, go back to that smallest cog and start over again. So I shift from smallest cog to the next one up, to the next one up, to the next one up. Oh, I run into a problem. I fix it, I move it all the way back down and I try it again. If I'm still having that problem, try to fix it there, move it all the way back down, try it again. So you're always trying it again if you have to fix a problem in the middle of it. So now we make it all the way up to the top of our cassette. Now we're gonna bring it back down. And we're gonna do that same process as we're bringing it back down. If we run into a problem, push it back up, bring it back down. Once we get all the way back down to the cassette, we think everything is good. We're gonna run through it, run through the cassette, feels good, run back down the cassette, feels good. And then we're gonna shift if we're either on the small ring or the big ring. Majority of the time, I start out in that small ring and then work my way up to the big ring because I work out a couple little problems in the small ring. I put it up to the big ring, work out a couple small problems there, bring it back down to both. It's shifting perfectly. So start in that small ring, then bring it up to the big ring. You might have to make a, a minor adjustment there, but that is basically it. And there is a lot of great videos and visuals of how to do this. I went really in depth on kind of how everything works. So I hope that was helpful. We're gonna do a quick review. So first thing to check, if you have mist shifting, check those cables and housing. Make sure that everything is flowing smoothly. There's no kinks in the cable there. If you need to pop some grease in there because you haven't gotten new cables in six months to a year, that can really be helpful. Or if they're slightly rusted out or something like that, or you just went through a lot of water the past couple days, shoot some grease up through there. Second, we're gonna look at that derailleur hanger. See if it is bent, see if it is broken, if we need to get a new one, or if it's perfectly in line, you don't need to do anything. 
So that is the second step. First step, check cable and housing. Second step, check your rear derail your hanger. Third, we are going to check those limit screws. We're going to make sure that the high and low limit screws are set correctly. Lastly, we are going to turn that barrel adjuster or unhook the cable from the pinch bolt, pull it tight, pinch it back up, and then go fine-tune it with the barrel adjuster. So I hope that was helpful. There's a lot of great videos. I really recommend either Park Tool videos or Global Cycling Network, GCN. They've done some great videos, have some great stuff, really uh, take you through it slowly and a great place to learn. So check those out. Or take it to your local bike shop. They can do it as well. <laughs> so next, we're going to get into training. And I'm going to keep this on the shorter end, but I want to talk about how other disciplines of a biking can make you a better cyclist. So when you listen to the pro, you're watching a pro race and you're listening to the announcers, a lot of them talk about how people came over from mountain biking were a mountain biking national champion, grew up a mountain biker, and then they came over to the roadside. And I thought it was really interesting when I first got into pro racing that I heard so much about that because I, I didn't grow up uh, racing bikes, anything like that. I grew up biking, of course, but I played baseball in college. I wrestled and wrestled and played baseball in high school. And so I, di I didn't grow up in that scene. So I, I didn't understand it necessarily. I was like, well, if you want to become a pro baseball player, you play baseball. You don't play softball or play cricket. You play baseball. And same with wrestling, same with all of those sports. You play that sport. So I found that interesting that they came from mountain biking to road racing. And I just didn't see the correlation, the connection. Well, then I got into fat biking and mountain biking. And I quickly, quickly understood how valuable it was to learn how to mountain bike and how that helped my road cycling. Now I can't do it justice as much as somebody who has actually done mountain biking at a very high level and then moved on to the pro scene, but I can give you at least my experience. And if you're wondering about getting a mountain bike down the road, I would think it's a very good investment and I'll give you a couple reasons why. So first off, handling. I mean, you really learn how to handle on a mountain bike. Now I wasn't mountain biking on any massive mountains, nothing like in Colorado, California, Nevada, nothing like that. I was mountain biking in Minnesota where they still have really good mountain biking trails. They are technical, but I'm not doing any massive descent. So when you think about what I'm doing as mountain biking, it isn't anything too crazy, but it still takes a lot of technical stuff on these courses. And so it just teaches you really how to handle well and there's handling with your with your arms there's handling with your body there's using your hips to shift your bike there's using your core to move your bike in certain directions while your hands are doing another certain thing and i started to almost gain muscles in some different places in my core in my forearms and i just became more one with my bike and then when i was out on my road bike i slowly became more and more stable and i thought i was a pretty good bike handler to begin with but i came became an even better bike handler on the road because I was able to use my core in different ways. I was able to use my arms, my shoulders, my forearms, um, 
even say my triceps in different ways to keep my bike stable. Also, I was more confident because I knew that I had gone over random stuff. I'd barely dodged a tree. I'd barely dodged a rock. I had almost fallen off my bike, but held myself up all on the mountain biking side. So it gave me a lot of confidence from that bike handling side where things just didn't even phase me, you know, where I could be maybe looking at my computer screen for a second and all of a sudden look up, there's something in the middle of the road and I dodge it super quickly. And it's just, it just became second nature for me too, to do stuff like that didn't even phase me. So it gave me a ton of confidence that I was just going to be at one more with my bike. So the handling side, I know it's kind of an obvious side, but I would say it definitely taught me a lot on handling. And this is both on the mountain bike and fat bike side. I'm going to talk more about uh, mountain biking specifically. The second one is it, uh, it taught me how to almost do interval biking in a better way. So the mountain biking trails that I was on would go downhill quickly to an uphill, to a flat, to an uphill, to a small uphill, to a flat, to a downhill. So I was kind of like constantly changing these terrains. And I believe that's true to a lot of mountain biking, but you're constantly changing from uphill to downhill to flat. And that taught me more and more how to do interval training and how it was just training me in a very different way because on the road you you just can't make those changes that quickly you know where you're climbing for 10 seconds now you're going downhill for five seconds now you're on a flat for five seconds now you're uphill again for 25 30 seconds you just can't have these different types of intervals all ingrained into your training program if you want to call it you can do it on zwift but you just can't do it when you're outside on the road so it it gave me a different level of endurance, a different level of, you know, my breathing definitely got better. My VO2 max, you could say, it just got better. How to put the power down too when I needed that quick little burst up a hill because I had been doing it on the mountain biking side. So I could see my power spikes doing better, everything like that. So the intervals that I got naturally in mountain biking helped me out on the road to be smoother when I'm going from, you know, like a flat to a quick little uphill, I was able, I was able to be punchier on it, everything like that. So, so the inner, the natural intervals that I got on mountain biking, that training quickly translated to my endurance, my power, and just my feel out on the road bike. And then lastly, I want to end with the joy that I had mountain biking. It can become a little mundane and tough to get out on the road bike, especially when you're in hard training blocks, hard training weeks, or you've just been training a lot lately. It can be hard to find something to mix it up with. You can go run, you can go swim. There's different work workouts out there. I'm not a great swimmer. Wrestling, if you know anything about wrestling, it killed the running for me. I still do run for fun sometimes, but I ran a lot. It, wrestling with a lot of clothes on so that kind of killed running for me so it was great to find another workout where I was still on a bike but I was having a lot of fun you know I didn't have any computer on my mountain bike I didn't have any power on my mountain bike I didn't want it I just wanted to ride as a secondary workout have a ton of fun out on the bike and that's what it did it broke up road biking segments for me so instead of doing a recovery ride out on the road I'd go do it mountain biking and I would only have to work I mean I'd only have to go for like 45 minutes to an hour to really work up a quick sweat quickly 
and it was a ton of fun and it really brought some joy back into biking for me as I started to use mountain biking in this way and I I just learned so much while I was out there I was able to better connect with my customers who were mountain bikers and stuff like that so I was I really can't recommend it highly enough that if you're looking to get into another bike I would say mountain biking is a great option now another training tip that I'm going to bring to another podcast is going to be on riding a single speed and how it did the same thing for me in different ways but riding a single speed brought a lot of joy back to cycling for me it gave me natural workouts in other ways and I'm going to talk about that in another podcast but I would highly recommend also thinking about getting another bike in another discipline of cycling whether that's a fixed gear whether that's a fat gear fat gear, fat bike, whether that's a mountain bike, whatever discipline that is, I would recommend it because a lot of those things are going to help translate to make you a better road cyclist. So a little bit different of a training tip today. It's not anything like super tangible that you can go do on your next training ride unless you have one of those bikes, but use that bike as part of your training for your road bike because mountain biking in three simple ways helped me to become better at handling my road bike, it gave me a great workout and natural intervals that made my endurance, my power, everything like that better on my road bike as I started to do more mountain biking, gave me more confidence on the bike. And three, it was a great alternative workout and a very fun workout that still gave me lots of benefits out on the road, but I got to break up my road bike training in a way that was very constructive. So that is it for today. We went through shifting, how to get that all dialed in, how to diagnose what is going on if you are not properly shifting. Then we moved over to how a mountain bike can make you a better road cyclist. And that is what we're all about, what I'm all about here at the the Cycling With Watts podcast is to make you a better cyclist, make you enjoy your bike more, make you want to get out on the road more because I love, 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 love cycling. And I want to share that with everybody. I want to teach you as much as I have learned because I'm learning every single day. You know, I'm still relatively new to the sport of cycling. I've really been deep into it for the past like five years. I grew up cycling, working on bikes, but I've now been mechanic for a couple of years and really into road biking for probably probably the last five years or so. And I just want to share all that knowledge that I have learned by watching way too many GCN videos, reading way too many articles on planes and at my house and just spending too much time around biking. I want to share all of that with you guys. So thank you so much for listening. This is episode number 15. So we have a lot more to come. I'm on a, on a trend steady cycle of releasing a podcast on Tuesday that focuses on pro cycling news and new tech. And then Fridays are for maintenance and training tips. I know this podcast is getting out a little bit later today on Friday. I am currently traveling and have had some issues with Wi-Fi. So thanks again for listening. Thank you for all who are listening especially like worldwide. That is super cool that a podcast from Minnesota is reaching somebody in Dublin. So again, thank you so much. If you want more, you can follow me on Instagram at cycling with Watts. You can also follow me on Twitter at cycling 
with watts. It is cycling WTH watts. Hit up my blog, which I'm going to be using my blog once I get back to the States as more of a resource page too for everything that I'm talking about on the podcast. You can go see it on the website. And so that is cyclingwithwatts.com. So again, thank you so much for listening. We are going to listen to that ever so beautiful orchestra music. To play us out, adios. Adios.